welcome to Season 4 of One Day You'll Thank Me, a podcast for smart parents. I'm Dr. Tara Egan. And I'm Anna. I'm a mom, a therapist, a parent coach, and an author. And I'm a daughter and a kick-ass high school student. Each week, we'll discuss a different parenting topic. And we'll interview some amazing guest experts. Our goal is to provide an interesting informational resource for busy parents. While also offering the perspective of a teen. Stay tuned, everyone. Boom. Hello, welcome back to One Day You'll Thank Me. My name is Dr. Tara Egan. Today is a solo episode, and we're going to talk about panic attacks today. And I want those of you who are listening to be able to determine the difference between feeling nervous or keyed up or restless because you have some sort of trigger, right? Like you might have a stressful phone call you have to make, or maybe you have to do a presentation in front of your English class, or maybe you're about to go on a job interview. And that really nervous feeling we have, maybe even shaky, and compare that with an actual panic attack, which is a little bit different. So as mental health clinicians, there are times when we diagnose something called panic disorder. And in order to do this, we need to look for specific criteria. So I'm going to start off by telling you about this specific criteria that's used when a mental health clinician diagnoses panic disorder. So we're going to start off by saying that the individual experiences recurrent, unexpected panic attacks, which are abrupt feelings of intense fear or discomfort that reach great heights within minutes. And there needs to be at least four of the following symptoms. Okay, so listen up for these symptoms. Quickened heartbeat, abnormal sweating, trembling or shaking, having shortness of breath or that feeling of like feeling smothered or feelings of choking having chest pain or chest pressure, feeling nauseous or having abdominal pain, feeling dizzy or maybe even faint, having chills or hot flashes, feeling numb or having tingling sensations, a symptom called derealization, which means feelings of unreality or depersonalization, which means feeling detached from yourself. Another characteristic might be fear of losing control or fear of like going crazy or fear of death. Okay. So that's a lot of symptoms. Okay. When it comes to these attacks, if one or more of the attacks are followed by a month or longer of one or both of the following being persistently worried about having more panic attacks or the consequences of having a panic attack or a significant abnormal change in behavior in response to the attacks. So basically what this means is after you have a panic attack, if for the next month or so, you're having a lot of worry about having a panic attack again, especially if it's making your world smaller. Like if you're finding yourself avoiding certain things because you're worried about having a panic attack, that is also a sign of panic disorder. Sometimes people will have a panicky episode and they recognize like, oh, this was a one-off thing. Maybe there was a specific trigger that they, you know, can really identify and they're not walking around in fear that they're going to have another issue with it. But for those who have panic, true panic disorder, we find that there's a lot of fear that happens after having a panic attack and it can really inhibit their ability to feel comfortable in kind of mainstream settings. Now, when we look at this, we make sure that a panic attack cannot be attributed to like the effects of a substance. So if somebody gets really panicky after they got high, for example, 
that's not really a pure panic disorder symptom. Also, we need to make sure that we're able to rule out other mental health disorders like social anxiety disorder or having a specific phobia. So if you are phobic, for example, of snakes and you have a panic attack because you saw a snake, then that panic attack would be associated with having a specific phobia versus appropriate for a diagnosis of panic disorder. Now, when it comes to determining who is most at risk for panic disorder, we know that individuals who are in their 20s or 30s are at a higher risk. Obviously, there's cases that begin in childhood. And of course, there's cases that begin in adults who are in their 40s, but these are less common. And we know that if a disorder, if a panic disorder is left untreated in the course is chronic, which means it can kind of wax and wane over time, we can have situation where there's like a sudden outbreak and, and they might've gone a long time without having panic attacks. And then it kind of might rear its ugly head again. And that person is experiencing them much more often. Panic disorder doesn't seem to be related to gender or any particular culture. You know, some individuals can identify specific stressors in the months leading up to their first panic attack. We know that if a person has experienced childhood abuse, it's more common to have panic disorder than other anxiety-related disorders. And we do know that there's a genetic link that can make individuals more vulnerable to panic disorder. So some things to think about if you know someone or maybe just reflecting on yourself is we might see behavioral changes in someone who's experiencing panic disorder. They might have changes in their diet, changes in their sleep. They might begin to isolate from their friends or family. They might have a hard time leaving the home or leaving places that they feel comfortable. They might have a reduction in interest towards activities that they find pleasurable in the past. And they might just feel like they're having a hard time relaxing generally. And these are people who have emotional symptoms like excessive worry, feeling hopeless, maybe having symptoms of depression. Maybe they fear that they're going to lose control, fear of dying, maybe even suicidal thoughts. So with teenagers, symptoms of panic disorder might be anywhere from mild to severe. They do tend to rise quickly and worsen over time. And so for most teenagers, the actual panic attack might only last for a brief period of time. But even if the actual panic attack is pretty brief, there can be lingering effects or lingering stress that carries on, you know, for the rest of the day or even longer because it is such a stressful event. So I always tell parents, like, if your child is experiencing panic attacks or has even just had one, be kind of aggressive when it comes to getting them treatment because once like one panic attack tends to beget more panic attacks because not only do we have sort of that brain is quickly going into fight or flight mode, but we also have the fear of having a panic attack is layered on top of that, which can result in it also increasing. So yeah, if you're a parent out there and your kid is showing signs of panic attacks, definitely reach out and get some support for them. Some of the kids that approach me or, you know, parents who approach me saying that they're concerned about their child having panic attacks. If we address it pretty quickly, oftentimes it's not a very intense intervention. It's the focus is on making sure that they have strategies and making sure they're also informed about what panic attacks are. 
because sometimes people say, well, it feels like I'm dying or it feels like I'm having a heart attack. And with teenagers, you know, they're not dying. They're not having a heart attack. So once they really understand that and understand kind of just the physiological aspects of it, that can be really helpful in them learning to control the panicky feelings. So get your kids some support if, if they're expressing this or you're seeing signs that your child is having these panicky moments. Now, looking at big picture and looking at ways that we treat panic disorder, you know, there's different ways that we can go about it. For me as a therapist and as a therapist specifically who uses cognitive behavioral therapy strategies, that's my go-to, you know, where I am using like cognitive restructuring. So having kids understand the thought process, the feelings, the behavior that goes into panic attacks and making sure that they can manage their thoughts and be aware of the factors that contribute to panicky feelings. Our goal is to replace that stress response with something that's more healthy and being able to recognize and cope with irrational fears. So for me as a therapist, you know, that's my go-to strategy. But other times kids are supported with medication like SSRIs or benzodiazepines, and it can help treat panic disorder in teens, although they're not going to improve things right, right away. It's oftentimes these medications take several weeks to really start being effective. There's some medications that they can take as needed. Like if they're feeling a buildup of panicky feelings, they might take a medication and be able to take it at their own discretion. So that is always something to be very, very mindful of and have a strong conversation with your doctor just in case, or because some of those medications can be habit forming. So we tend to see that if doctors prescribe medication to treat panic issues, they're also doing it in conjunction with therapy. Sometimes group therapy is used, you know, is a, a supplement or instead of individual therapy. And the benefit of group therapy is that there's a lot of opportunity for peers to role model effective coping strategies. Kids can get a lot of social support from other people who've experienced it. And then, you know, the goal obviously is that healthy behaviors and coping skills are reinforced in that group. So that can be a great strategy for kids. Another strategy is something called biofeedback. And so basically what biofeedback is, and I'm not a biofeedback therapist. So if you have questions, definitely look in your area to find somebody who's really experienced. But the gist of it is that they use electronic monitoring to assist the client in learning to control bodily functions like heart rate. So basically they're connected to electrical sensors and these electrical sensors provide information or feedback to the client about what's happening physiologically with them. And then through that process, the person takes that information about what's happening with their body and they work on learning strategies to control those responses. So think about if you can become aware that your, your breath is increasing, right? Maybe you're starting to feel like kind of a, a tightening sensation and you're having a hard time catching your breath. They will teach individuals how to mindfully slow down their breath, which then slows down the panicky feelings. So it's a very interactive approach between the body and the mind. It's fantastic. It's also a great alternative for people who don't want to try medication. There's another treatment option called exposure therapy. And this is where the individual is exposed to 
physical sensations that come with their panic attack. So it's done in a safe environment. And the goal, of course, is to learn better coping. So for example, a client might be asked to mimic the symptoms of panic, okay, like holding their breath or something like that, and then have them process through it as they're as they're exposing themselves to it repeatedly so that they can get control over their symptoms and of course control over their panic. And then overall, we look at stress management skills. So we look at individuals making sure to get appropriate sleep, appropriate exercise, using deep breathing, using muscle relaxation, meditation, being mindful of negative thinking patterns. Like those are overall stress management skills. I mean, we'd love everybody to use these skills all the time, but we sort of, we would have these skills be like umbrella strategies. And then with the, underneath that umbrella, we would might use some of these other specific things to help support the individual in controlling their panic attacks. So if you think of just even some things on TV, I mean, I feel like TV has done, or there's been television shows that have portrayed panic attacks pretty accurately. The one that comes to mind right away is from the show, This Is Us. And the one character, his name is Randall. There is a very well-known scene. I mean, you could go on YouTube and Google Randall, This Is Us, panic attack. And for him, you know, you see him experience blurred vision. He sort of feels detached from his body. He's sweating profusely. He's having a hard time catching his breath. And you sort of just see him become non-functional for a period of time due to panic attacks. Other examples I've seen is like Meredith Grey on Grey's Anatomy. That's another one where you see how it slows her down and inhibits her from, you know, being able to participate in a meaningful way with her environment. So panic attacks are pretty common. And sometimes I see with teenagers, there's a buildup where they'll say, oh, I, I, sometimes I feel like I'm shaky or sometimes I feel like I have a hard time catching my breath. Or sometimes I feel like, like spacey, like they're sort of stepped back from their surroundings. And I start to recognize that as symptoms of panic attacks that if we leave unaddressed, it's probably going to get worse. Other times kids will maybe not be aware of those symptoms and then they'll have a full out panic attack where they're sweating, can't catch their breath. Maybe they're crying. Maybe they sort of want to hide or curl up and they're not able to like maintain a sense of control over their body which could be very self-conscious. Like if they sat there in math class and had a panic attack and was like crying and sweating and breathing hard and clutching their chest and the teacher's like, oh my goodness, you know, call the nurse, things like that. You know, that's very stigmatizing. You know, there's a, there can be a lot of embarrassment or self-consciousness or even shame. And so as a therapist, if I'm hearing kids describe symptoms that sound like panic attacks are sort of gearing up, then, you know, I sort of go immediately into the mode of having supports around that child so that it doesn't keep intensifying and so that they can learn the strategies to roll it back. So panic attacks, that's what I wanted today's episode to be on. I didn't want it to be a very long episode. I just wanted to give you some information. If you have more questions about panic attacks, shoot me an email. You can go to my website at www.drtaraegan.com. You can also make reference to a great TEDx talk by Allison Sommer, which is S-O-M-M-E-R, called Anxiety Disorders and Panic Attacks. I think that's a great resource for you to check out. And stay tuned for new episodes every Wednesday. Talk soon. Thanks. 
Oh, 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 oh,